0: I want to thank you. I was talking with, we had a visitor yesterday that came up, and he was a pastor in Moldova. And he was telling us how at his church, they would meet at his house. And um, because they would meet at his house for church, they gave a church member, like the head elder, a key. And people would come in at all times of day or night. They'd go through his refrigerator, take his food, and he said, I, I felt no freedom to even talk to the conference about this because members thought you were unfriendly if you didn't let them in your house at all times of the day or night. Thank you. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you, conference here for boundaries. Thank you. Um, just thank you. All right. You guys are a great church. Sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, we praise you and give you honor and glory. We ask that the Spirit of the Lord is here but not just momentarily, not just in this hour, but we ask that the Spirit attends us in every way so that we can be used to make an impact and change this world. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So whether you know it or not, a few years ago, it came to head again that the Catholic Church was in the news again, especially concerning health insurance and birth control. Now, do you guys remember that when that happened? I mean, uh, there's, there's been challenges, especially when Obamacare was, was amazing, making its rise. And, and so birth control rose its head again in the Catholic Church. And most people really don't understand why the Catholic Church takes a stand against birth control. Um if you understand the history of gnosticism was that there is a good part of us and there is an evil part good part of us is spiritual the evil part is the carnal it's it's the physical So, hence, you would have things, and and this is biblical to have fasting, but in their mindset, they had logically said that the more you fast, the holier you are because you do not. You are disconnecting from the physical and really relying on only your spiritual nature. Does that make sense? Well, this is the same with sex. By the way, me even saying that word might make some of you cringe because what has happened throughout this history is that in the greek thought and with gnosticism sex is a physical nature which is considered a necessary evil do you understand that even the, that it became that this is a necessary evil so for you to try to procreate i mean to to engage in intimacy outside of procreation meaning for recreation I don't know, then uh, then you were doing something evil. You were leaning towards evil. Hey, you know what? I'm going to say this here, because we are, most of us are Seventh-day Adventists. It has crept within our church, too. With this topic, I have talked to people. Now, you know, there's lots of times where people might throw stones at me, So, and I, I'm, I'm ready. But this topic... I was talking about it with somebody about having intimate relations on the Sabbath. And because people, they, people have differing views about this. You know, this is a, this is a pleasure thing, and, and Isaiah 58 says that you should not do your own pleasure. And I'm like, you don't understand what that word is in Hebrew, chefetz. And secondarily, you don't understand that you're following Gnosticism here, that Sex is evil, and since the Sabbath is holy, you cannot mix the two. That is so not Hebraic. That is so Greek. That is so not biblical. I mean, you think about it. I know I'm a little bit on the soapbox, but, but you, you think about the last thing God creates is man and woman, and they're married. The sun goes down, and he says... Adam actually says in the text, it says, you are, you know, you've created you know, bone in my bone, flesh in my flesh. But the, the actual Hebrew says, wow, she was made from me, for my bones and for my flesh. God, you've, you've outdone yourself. But God's like, no, you've got to wait 24 hours before you consummate this because that's an evil act that I created on this holy day. Blows my mind. Ridiculous. But see, this is where Greek thought has brought us. And where it's even more prevalent than just the, well, I don't know, maybe as much as the sex thing, is in the immortality of the soul. That the flesh is evil, and the spirit is holy, and hence you have to throw away all of Hebraic thought, which is everything is holistic. Everything is created by God. Now, there are things that are not created by God that are not good. But it says in Genesis 2, verse 7, so we're going to skip one of these slides. In in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says this. I'll read it out of my text here. If I can get there. The Lord God formed the man of, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, if you see up there, I, I, I included the Hebrew words for four words up there, just so that you know that word where it says the man is ha adam ha is the in Hebrew adam. Adam was never named; he just inherited the name. He is the man. Yeah, you know, he's the man. From the dust, ironically, dust in Hebrew is adama, uh, red clay, of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils, or breathed it into his nostrils, the breath ruach of life, and the man became a nefesh chaya, a living being. Nefesh is Hebrew; uh, it is the, it, I mean, it is the Hebrew word for for uh, soul. Or being, you know, which is in the King James, I think it's translated as soul. So if you want to know what the translation of the word, it, this is NIV, but where it says a living soul, soul is nefesh. So if I have that as one of your questions, uh, nefesh is, is the soul. You go to the, so you see here, wind, breath, spirit, nefesh, chaya. Um, what ruach means, so I'm going to be a little educational here where this is going to be a little you're going to learn some stuff here ruach just means something that is unseen but affects change remember where it talks about the holy spirit it says the spirit is like a wind you don't see it where it goes and where it comes from but you feel it that is ruach so it can be translated as spirit Sometimes it's also translated in the Old Testament as like the, emo- the seed of emotion. Boom. You know, oh, his spirit, you know, it talks about King Cyrus. His spirit rose within him, you know, sort of when he, he got passionate. Now, nefesh is just the combination of breath and dust. Nefesh chaya. By the way, humans are not the only ones with nefesh chaya. If you look in Genesis 1, several places, the creatures from the sea have nefesh chaya. The the creatures from the earth, nefesh chaya. So if we're going to translate this as soul, a soul, you know, well, then animals will go to heaven. You know? um, If we're going to translate the same way, nefesh chaya. Animals have it. And if you want to, just so that you know... um, in Genesis chapter, I believe it's chapter, Genesis chapter 9, um, it says, right before the flood, or right after the flood, it says, but you must not eat the meat that has its lifeblood in it, still in it, okay? And that's Genesis 9 verse 4. He says, okay, you can't, you can't eat anything with blood still in it, because it says that the blood uh, is life. That word is nefesh, chaya." So nefesh chaya is something that is connected to blood, something that has blood in it. So if we're talking a soul, the way that some people equate it, that does not have blood in it. Do you understand that the, the, the terms don't match up according to the original language? Now, I am not going to... There are multiple Bible studies on this. We are not going to do the Bible study. What I am going to tell you is why I believe it is important to me. Why I believe it is important to this Seventh-day Adventist church. Why it is great news that we don't believe in the Greek way of thinking in the immortality of the soul. But I must say this first. If Grandma Ethel believed that when her husband died, he went to heaven, here's where the stones might come out. It is not a salvation issue. It cannot be a salvation issue. Or, well, I guess it could be, or everybody who has ever believed that somebody that's died and gone straight to heaven... Should not won't be in the kingdom. Meaning Martin Luther, who is mentioned in, in great controversy, he never came to that understanding. Not in heaven. Or he won't be in heaven. Can't be. If this is a salvation issue. The reason I say this is because sometimes we have made it a salvation issue that people that don't believe that when you die, you just die until the resurrection, they believe those people will not be saved. How sad. It is not that. But I'm going to put my big butt here. But, but, there are huge dangers. I will also say that. There are huge dangers in believing in the immortality of the soul. And first is that you can talk to the dead. Um, I don't know if you know this, especially during Ellen White's time in the 19th century, the spiritualist movement, and I think this is why she speaks so strongly about it, about the 1840s, the spiritualist movement really started taking some some momentum where people started consulting mediums about the dead. And then after, and then it really spiked after a war that happened in the 1860s called what? The Civil War. Because people started losing family members. Their sons were killed in war and they were grieving and they wanted to say goodbye one more time. So they started going to these mediums. I guess they'd be media. Um, I mean, that's the plural, right? A medium's plural is media. Uh, these mediums, they started going to them trying to talk to their son one more time. But what it started happening is people started having extra contacts with spirits. So they'd go one time to this media to the psychic or this this medium, and, and then spirits started talking to them. I just, just last week, well, I guess it's about, about, been about a week and a half ago, I was talking to a, another pastor friend of mine who said this exact thing happened to one of his church members who visited a psychic, and the psychic said, we need to do, it's a two-part process if you want to talk with this person. And, um, and so they said, you need to come back. You know, first time, he felt a little guilty. He's like, okay, I'm not coming back. And they said, no, you need to come back. You need to come back. He wouldn't. And spirits started harassing him to come back. Oh, this is real stuff, people. The spirits started harassing him. Come back. You need to go back. And, and it didn't stop until they had this laying on of hands group prayer, because finally he was like, I'm, it's driving me crazy. Um, and they had this group, several pastors came along, prayed over him, and finally on the last prayer, some, my friend, he said, I felt so compelled, I need to pray. And so we prayed, and the guy said, I finally hear silence. Oh, this stuff's real. And you open that door by trying to consult the dead, and there is real danger. So I said, it's not a salvation salvation issue to believe that, but it can be. If you start, it really can start messing with you. Let me read a couple of verses in Scripture about this. Deuteronomy 10, 18, uh, 10 through 11. Let not... Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. I think that's pretty clear. Just don't do it. First um, Chronicles 10, verses 13 through 14 says this, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He also did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death. Leviticus 19 verse 31 says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. I wasn't going to tell you the story, but I'm going to tell you the story. It will take a little bit of time. So, I told this while I was at teen camp, too. Maybe freak the kids out a little bit. My first experience with demon possession, I had just, it was the first academy I worked at, and there's no need to tell you, it was a boarding academy. Some of you guys know where I worked. The first semester I was there, we had just found, there were a couple of staff members that had just found some papers that had, uh, had witchcraft spells. Somebody had printed them off from online, and, and I read over them. And they were like, um, the spell of invisibility. But what it would say is that it, it would explain it. This will not really make you invisible. What it will do is make it so that people won't notice you. There was a spell of beauty. So we, we sort of assumed that this was probably a female who was doing this. And um, there were some other spells. A spell, I mean, there were several. That, some were weirder than others. Um, and that week, one of the young ladies came to me, and I I don't know if she felt like somebody had found her spells or that somebody was going to, and she came to me, and she said, uh, Pastor Rufo, I, I'm, I'm doing some witch spells, um, and, uh, I just don't know what to do with it, and, um. And so we prayed, and I said, this is something you want to get rid of, right? And she said, yeah, I don't want to do it anymore. Um, well, that was probably on a Tuesday, and she, so oh, there was nothing from Tuesday to Friday, and Friday night at about 10 p.m., um, I get a phone call. Pastor, you need to get over to the girls' dorm right now. So something weird was happening in her room. We come in, we have to say, and I had met one of the who the LE director, who is also a pastor, we come there, hey guy on hall, guy on hall, you know, make sure that the girls know. Hey, don't be walking around naked. There's a guy here. So we go and knock on her door. Who is it? It's Pastor Rufo and Pastor Joe. Come in. So we come into her room and you know, I, I just want you to know the, the concept of the room. Here's the door. We walk into the room. The desk is right here. Joe stands right here. She's right in front of her desk. I get on my knees and I start praying immediately because I know what's going on. She looks at me and with a voice that is obviously not hers. Pastor Rufo, stop praying. You think I stopped praying? No way. pray that more. Oh, Lord, Please. Um, so I was praying and praying, and she starts laughing at us because Joe, my friend, um, he starts talking about Jesus, and she's laughing out of anger too, you know, out of frustration because she, she's sort of trying to cover her ears, and she's, she's, she's laughing at us, and, and Joe is talking about Jesus, but she gets so frustrated that at one point she lunges at him. Now, he is an ex-Marine. And he said, normally, she's done. I don't care. Male, female, I'm taking them out. But he said, at this one point, he said, all I thought to do is raise my Bible. And I saw this. She jumps at him, and then she jumps back and lands on the desk. And I'm like, what is going on? I pray even harder. And she starts laughing, again, in a voice not of her own, and she's, ha, ha, ha. You believe that that book has power? And he's like, I believe in the God of this book, and I know he has power. And then she, she just started getting really angry and, and knocking books off her desk because she wanted to get away from us. And then she just screams out, Get out of my room! Get out of my room! And if they don't want to change, there's nothing you can do. We get out of the room. Once we close that door, the room, she tears it apart. We hear the bed fall over, books fly, and she's screaming. All the girls that are still in their room run down to the foyer area. They're like, I mean, even these tough girls, I mean, they were freaked out. They run. Well, we obviously had to take her out. Not not take her out, but, you know, take her out of the dorm. We took her out. Uh, We took her out of the dorm, and um, that was Friday night, Sunday morning, we met with her again. And we meet in this room. I know I'm sorry you know, I'm giving you the whole story, but it's, it was amazing to me. We meet in this room that's also a rectangle, and it was the recruiter room and a little bit of storage stuff. The door comes in. There's a, there's a seat and then two couches like this, and then there's a desk over here and some storage stuff. She's sitting here next to a pastor who grew up in Africa with seeing this kind of stuff so we brought him there i was sitting here the girls dean here the principal right here so i'm right in front of her praying oh because i just saw friday night he didn't even acknowledge her he said we're just going to sing a song sing with me jesus 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 that was one word in the whole song jesus 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 and And the irony of that is she hated that song. She started covering her ears, and she slid off the couch and started scooting towards the desk. And as she scoots towards the desk, she knocks over a fan, one of those standing-up fans that has a pole and then these three-legs things, and she's so frustrated, she breaks off one of the legs. And I saw this with my own eyes. She's over here. She throws it at this pastor. I saw it coming to his head, drop and bounce over him. Lord, I knew something was going on. Something was protecting him. And what it came to is, he said, he finally acknowledged her. and He said, do you want to give this up? She said sarcastically yes, and he had this prayer that he would have them go through if they wanted to give this up, and she, she would read it sarcastically, and she even said the name of Jesus, but you could tell in her tone that she didn't want to, and, and finally he, stops. he stopped her. He said, there's nothing we can do right now. She's not ready to give this up, and we had to send her, send her home. This stuff is real. If we had time, I'd tell you another story that just happened a couple years ago. This stuff is real. And the enemy has doors all over to open this up. One of the main issues with the immortality of the soul is this opens up that door. And demons are willing and waiting for this opportunity. Secondarily... There is a doctrine out here called ever-burning hell. Do you realize this? That there are people out here that believe that God wants people to burn eternally in hell. And that's his vindication. If anybody read my, uh, did anybody read the, the week thing? How many of you guys knew who George Carlin was. Who knows who George Carlin is? I know Joe does, because he went and saw him like 10 times. But, you know, other, than, other than, that, than Joe, you know. But George Carlin was not known for having a clean mouth. And he was also a well-known atheist comedian. And I, just for you who did not read it, I want you to, to understand what, or I want you to hear what he said in one of his bits. He said, religion has actually convinced people But he loves you. And that's how he says it. But he loves you. There are people, and sad to say, some of the theologians that I actually respect in, in some ways that have just adamantly defended this, like Francis Chan. He, he, he wrote a book called Erasing Hell but I'm glad that there's other books out there. I don't know if you guys know who Edward Fudge is. Edward Fudge wrote this book, The Fire That Consumes. I think it's one of the best books written. By the way, this guy is not a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, he went to non-institutional churches of Christ. I think his, either his uncle or his dad was a pastor of, of one. He went to Abilene Christian Church. He lives in Houston, and he's a lawyer. And he did a study historically on why people believe in this ever-burning hell. And it stems so much from the idea of the immortality of the soul. But I want to explain to you originally what hell meant. So we we have a couple of words up here, just so that you know. And you've probably even read this because in some of your translations, it stopped translating hell which is King James, into these, where it talks about Sheol. Have you ever read that word before And Sheol? Which literally is the same etymology of the word Saul. The name Saul is Sheol. It means from one place to the other. Saul means to ask, to ask from God, you know? So when you ask, I'm asking you for something comes from you to me. So Sheol literally means from here to there. But if you look at the text for Sheol, it just means from above ground to underground. It's just something underground, and it's usually associated with death. Okay? So Sheol is, is just a place. Let me, uh, I printed off a couple of, of verses that had to um, have to deal with it. Actually, I, I got to look them up. Um, actually, I didn't do that with Sheol. Uh, there are plenty with, with Sheol. Sorry about that. Um, But Hades is the equivalent, the Greek equivalent. So when it talks about Hades in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 27. Because you did not, you will not abandon me to the grave. It actually translates it to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And that's a quote from the Psalms. The grave. That's what Sheol is. That's what Hades is. Now here's where the, the difference of opinion happens. Is this Gehenna is the one that uses fire. It's, all, it's usually in relation to fire. So you have Gehenna, which is, it literally is from the word uh, Gehinnom, the Valley of Hinom. And it was a place where child sacrifice would happen, and it's also a place where it was known that there would be cremation. They would cremate bodies there. Now, some historians say that there was actually a burning heap of rubbish there, um, because of the child sacrifice. God said nobody will live here anymore, so they made a, a rubbish heap there and they kept it burning at all time. Because how when does garbage end? Never, you know. How many times do you have to go out and buy garbage bags? Because you know? garbage never ends. You know? It's like taxes or something. you know, You've got garbage. So garbage never ends. And so they would keep this fire burning until everything would burn out, you know, be burned out. But it never would be because people would bring more garbage again. And they started throwing out animals, dead animals in there. Um, hence, there would be worms and stuff that would, that would get in there, and then they'd, they'd be burned also. It was a place to get rid of harmful things, you know, because after a while, when, you know, it's just not good. That was Gehenna. Actually, Gehenna is used here. If you look in Matthew 10, verse 28, it says this Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who cannot, who can destroy both soul, which is suke, where we get the word psyche, and body. In Gehenna, in hell. By the way, that word destroy means to cease to exist. If you look in the Greek, it means to cease to exist. So it doesn't say who is going to perpetually keep you alive, burning forever and ever and ever. It says, don't be afraid of that person, you know, who can only destroy this body but somebody who can make you not exist anymore. So I wonder, with the word torment, because you know you've read some of these verses about torment, right? And I'm just going to show you. In, in, in Greek, the word is basanos, which is translated torment, and we're just going to skip this because I'm going to come back to it. Um, or does it mean something else? Because... You have to deal with these verses. Some of these verses talk about torment and forever and night and day and stuff like that. So the, the, the first verse we're going to talk about here, or just at least read, is Revelation 14. And it says this, they will be tormented. By the way, this is in the third, third angel's message. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, There will be no rest day and night for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Now, by the way, um, well, let's just read the next verse, because it has it also. Revelation 20 says this, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now that seems fairly clear in the English. That there would be an ever-burning torture. But this is where I think the translation is not good. Like my English, is not good. A few years ago, I did some research, and you can find some in this book, and I also found some other research. In the word torment... The word torment is basanos, as you saw up there. And, um, and the word tormented is basanizo, which comes from this word. And what you find is that in the English, it's the basanite or a kind of rock, what they started calling a touchstone. So what you would do is there was an actual dark stone, and you would bring your gold and silver to it, and when you would scratch on it, it would turn a, diff- a a specific color so you could check if your gold was pure if it really was gold or not well this word which was known as the touchstone became to know, be known as a word the, the same root word as to investigate so they started saying that these investigations which would happen in trials they would use the basanos word Because this would tell if you are telling the truth or not. Do you understand? Is this pure or not? And so what would happen is they started calling these people, the investigators, these judges, Bassanos or or a derivative of Bassanos. And they were actually using them also towards, have you ever heard the, the expression which comes from scripture, to be tried by fire? The same thing. Basanos, there was an investigation that was happening, and you would see what is pure and what was not, and what was pure would be dis- what was impure would be destroyed eventually, through this process of basano. So you would see this. So, what I am wondering here, by the way, I, to give it credit to torment, how it came to torment, is that in the investigation. People started using torture to investigate. You know that that still happens in our investigations now. That they use these manipulative things. Well, this torture started being used. So when they translated this, you know, when you, when you got this in the 14th, 15th, 16th century A.D. or B.C.E. any way you want to say it, when you when they translate this, torment is already a part of their vocabulary. But original, I believe, is it was an investigation that was happening. There is an investigation happening that's used, that it's used here. And what you find out with uh, with even the smoke of their torment and the results of their trials will ascend is that those are just saying the results will be seen forever. And they will not have rest, just like in Hebrews 4 where it says that people will not go into the promised land. They will not have rest. Do you know that Noah, Noah his, his meaning is rest. He was the savior of those people. It's because of him. The one that makes it to the other side. Those are the ones that have rest. The ones that make it to the other side. So my and even with the words day and night and forever let me just read a couple of verses for you concerning forever just old testament the old testament idea so on that day moses swore to me the land on which our feet wa- have walked will be your inheritance and that your children and that of your children forever because you have followed the lord my god heart wholeheartedly. That's in Joshua 14. Now we know that that has not always stayed forever. Let me read another one. 1 Samuel 2 verse 30. Therefore the Lord the God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. Okay, let me read another one. 1 Samuel 3.13 For I told you that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. Um, 1 Samuel 27, verse 12. Achish, remember when David ran away? Uh, Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so odious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. Well, I don't think even Acts says that David's still in the grave. So he's still not a servant. Forever, in the Hebraic mind, Is until complete, until life is over, until it's done, till everything is finished. Which begs the question well, couldn't that mean eternal life also? We live forever and ever. The reason I do not believe that, why I believe that we will live with no death, because that's the last enemy. We just read that in 1 Corinthians. The last enemy to be expelled is death. And there will be no more death, sorrow, crying, and pain. Ironically, why would there be an ever-burning hell when God has gotten rid of death, sorrow, crying, and pain? Because if somebody was being tortured in hell, I guarantee there would be crying, pain, and suffering. So the last question the bottom line is is God vindictive. And that's sort of the basis of this book. If you've ever read this book, can God be trusted by Graham Maxwell? Can God be trusted? Is God vindictive? Does he want revenge? You know, 13-year-old boy says, "I hate God," he dies. And God's like, "I will ever burn this kid." I am going to put an apple in his mouth, tie him up, slow roast him, and this is what I'm going to do, is I'm not going to kill him off. I am going to perpetually keep him alive so he feels the maximum pain. That came from pagan ideas. Now God will have to destroy what is harmful to us. And I do believe that there will be a destruction of the wicked. And I do believe that there will be tears in the eyes of the Lord. Instead of this vindictive, vengeful, there will be tears in his eyes as he knows he has to destroy Satan himself. Do you remember how David felt when Absalom, he found out Absalom Absalom died? Who was trying to take his kingdom from him? He mourned. For days. I believe this will not be an easy thing for the Lord to do, knowing that he will have to do something that will make some of his loved creations cease to exist. But we do not believe in an ever burning vindicative vindictive God. This is good news. This is gospel. I hope you understand this. What we believe, and as much as possible, and we have so much growth to do as as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, but what we have packaged here in judgment, in the way that we view hell. You know, I've done that as my first Bible study with people before. We're going to, we're studying Bible studies? Yeah, we're doing, the first one we're doing is hell. We're going to talk about hell. And, And when people find this out, that we don't believe this about God, they're like, this is amazing. God really doesn't, he's not split. He's not Greek like that. He's very vengeful on one and then he loves you on the other. Man, that's great. This is the message we need to teach our people.